0: This is the I Read Comic Books podcast, and we are back from our summer hiatus. Welcome to the show. I'm your host for this week's episode, Paul Jaceley. I'm filling in for the marvelous Mike Rappin, and but I'm not alone. Of course, I'm joined by two great friends to talk about comic books with Kara Shamborski. Hey, and Kate Lamphere. Hi, hi, Kate and Kara. It's good to be back talking with you. Uh, I hope the listeners enjoyed the minisodes that we put up the past month, but. We're back to the real stuff, back to the real episodes, so it, it's kind of nice to be back. Speaking of which, since we're back here altogether, I need to ask the questions that are most important to our listeners. How have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Kate.
1: I've been great. I discovered Horizon Zero Dawn on the PS4 that my husband has owned for, a, I don't know, almost a year at this point, and it's pretty much the only thing I've been doing with my spare time. (laughs) Um, In terms of comics, I finally picked up Nuclear Winter Volume Two by Cab, who is Caroline Brialt from um, Canada, and this is published by Boombox, so of course it's a a day in the life, very uh, sweet book with some very um, tender characters that are very close to my heart, Volume 1 really appealed to me because it takes place in the winter, which is actually a nuclear winter that causes all of the characters, all of the residents of this town to look not entirely human. Some of them are green. Some of them have three arms. Um, And our hero of the book uh, appears to be a healthy person, but you find out... A little ways into volume one, that's that's appearances aren't everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, this volume focuses on that character's um, more mental health. It talks about how she kind of becomes isolated up in this this winter town, working as a courier on her, her snowmobile. And how she kind of has isolated herself a little bit and hasn't been talking to her family or her friends very much. And it kind of gets into how, like, the medicine supply and she has one of these medications has been interrupted because partially because of the weather. But then you find out that there the snow biker gang in town has interrupted the flow of medication. <laughs> um, so, of course, she has to um, scooby it up and go solve this mystery. And in the process, um, you know... Um, gets kind of more of a, um, a hold of her, her situation. And by the end of the book, you know, everything is, is fine. And she's hanging out with her friends and her sister and she calls her mom and it's, it's just very sweet. Um, hmm. I also read Lady Mechanica um, Sangra Vol. Number 2 by Joe Benitez with guest artist Brian Ching. And it took me a little while to realize that this was a guest artist because this artist does so well at having the characters appear like Joe Benitez draws them and colors them. Um, Oh, Joe Benitez, I don't believe, colors his own work. But anyway, Lady Mechanica, the main character... She's got a little bit of a rounder face and this really cute bob in this book. And I had to look into this because, like I said, he does such a good job. Um, The artist, um, the art in this book is really great. And this new arc of Lady Mechanica has her in Spain investigating what seems to be a demonic possession of um, a young man whose dad is convinced that his actions aren't his own, but we find out that uh, this young man is attracted to other young men. So this book, I think, is going to be about... Um, diversity and Mm -hmm. helping his father accept him but that's just what i where i hope it goes
0: (laughs) right Um, right, right.
1: in the meantime lady mechanica is investigating why all of the the young men in this town are getting beheaded
0: so (laughs) (laughs) a little bit of supernatural
1: (laughs) a little bit of mystery
0: um great art it sounds it sounds appealing. I know that title, Lady Mechanic. I've seen that around a lot, and it seems seems appealing. I should probably dive into that at some point. So I have yeah. all of it. If you would like to borrow it, <laughs> okay, good, good to know. Cool. <laughs> uh, how about you, Kara? What, what have you been reading lately?
2: What have I been reading and what have I been up to? Well, on first of all, on our summer hiatus, I traveled to a galaxy far, far away, and that's right. <laughs> I, went to, I went to Disneyland for the first time ever. Like. The week Galaxy's Edge opened kind of like to the public without a reservation, and it Mm -hmm. was empty. Like, I was my friend and I were expecting to not be able to even really get to that section of the park, but I think so many people thought that and therefore didn't go so we literally had all of Star Wars to ourselves like i had an interaction with ray and chewbacca and kylo ren and got to go to the cantina and rode on the millennium falcon twice and by rode on i mean piloted because i got to pilot the millennium falcon twice and <laughs> let me tell you friend you have not lived until you pull that lever to go into hyperspace <laughs> like man it was a time um so i really really enjoyed that i i do think if you're thinking about planning a trip there, don't mm-hmm. do it if Star Wars is your only destination because there honestly isn't a lot to do that doesn't cost an mm. extra, like, $200. Like, <laughs> if you have an extra $200, you can build your own lifesaver, And if you have another mm-hmm. extra $200, you can build your own droid. But right now there's, like, one ride. So maybe wait oh, until okay. August when the second ride opens. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> anyway, okay. so, in t- so this this week for comics... I finally read Blackbird Volume One, that's by Sam Humphreys, art by Jen Bartel. and I th- I think this is Jen Bartel's first creator-owned work,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, I- I'm used to seeing her work in like covers, and she does all these cute pins, and I I, I don't think I've seen her work in this kind of long form actual story format, and. I got to tell you, I felt like kind of a snob while reading Blackbird because I have, yesterday I actually read this like whole book about how to write comic books that was written mm-hmm. by a, a professor at SCAD and they do so many things in Blackbird that this how to write comics book says not to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there was a okay. lot of me just being like, uh-huh, mm. So, like, there were, for example, there were a lot of uh, full, like, full-length body shots of the characters in this book, which I think works for Jen Bartel's art style because her style is just this aesthetic. And so, by doing these full-body shots of all these characters, it's basically Jen Bartel being like, "My strength is drawing people who look really cool." And so here's a lot of people who look really cool. Mm-hmm. But it was because I had just, like, read this book pointing out that that's a thing that's, like, superfluous. Like, a really large part of this book ended up being, like, visually superfluous. Because it's all about, like, and here's their fancy clothes. And, like, Sailor Moon did the same thing. So, like, I get it. But also I was just <laughs> laughing that this was just such a flagrant antithesis of this like basically a textbook (laughs) so Mm -hmm. um but okay so blackbird is about this uh 23 year old girl who's living in la and 10 years ago she experienced this trauma and then her like family life fell apart and her life's kind of a mess and she's kind of obsessed with this idea that magic is real and there are real life like magic wielders and she's trying to find them and she does but it's not the way she thinks. So Mm. like it's a really cool concept and the art is really cool. I just found myself kind of being like okay, this could have done a little bit differently, some of this plot, and I'm just, so now I've just learned I shouldn't read books about how to make comics, because now I'm just going <laughs> to overanalyze the comics that I read. But if you like Jen Bartel's sure. aesthetic, definitely read Blackbird, if you haven't already. Okay. Hmm.
0: Interesting. Uh, Yeah, so I guess that was my question when you were talking about the uh, sort of mechanics that you uh, you had read about. You've, you found it distracting when they weren't adhering to those rules, or was it more interesting that they weren't doing that? I guess that
2: I guess it just gave me a different framework to think about it. Like, if I mm-hmm. had just been reading Blackbird prior to reading this How to Write Comics book, I would have just kind of accepted what was happening. But because <laughs> sure. I had read a book right. about how to write comics and it, and it mm-hmm. have had a set of guidelines and said, sure, you can break the rules, but understand that there are a certain way of like setting these things up. And it basically boiled down to, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever read strunk and whites the element of style elements of style <laughs> of course but the main thesis of that work is omit needless words and that right. was basically what this comic writing book was also saying because it is a visual medium and you do need to let the story breathe so it was interesting to then and it was all about like trusting the artist and it, like yeah. if you have certain shots that are relevant to how the story is being perceived maybe put that in but basically like trust the artist and let them do what they want to do so i'm just reading this i'm like "Mm, jen bartell really wanted us to see those sneakers she drew i see okay (laughs) (laughs) which like is fine but also i was Uh like laughing because i knew what was happening and why it was happening so it was just a different way of reading comics than i'd done before
0: sure sure yeah, so sometimes peeking behind the curtain can be a little bit too much information, I guess. For, but, uh, for me, yeah. yeah, I was like, interesting, <sighs> <laughs> interesting. Yeah. interesting. How about you, Paul? What have you been up to? Uh, well, not much. Um, I it's, it's funny. I had um, a, a complete and utter phone meltdown um, last week where my phone completely bricked on me, which meant I spent about four days being off the grid, and it was actually kind of refreshing. So it's a, I, I highly recommend maybe doing that, maybe not doing it to the point where you have to like go buy a new phone, but maybe just put it away for a few days and see uh, what the world looks like, uh, you know, outside the screen, I guess. But I'm back. I'm back. I'm connected. So uh, uh, here I am. Um, in terms of comic books, I've been catching up on a lot of stuff, of course. Uh, I recently read the first volume of The Terrifics, uh, Meet the Terrifics. This is a DC series written by Jeff Lemire. Um, the characters were designed or by Evan Shaner, and then the book had art by him, Ivan Rice and Joe Bennett. Um, this was a pretty fun series. It's a lighthearted sort of Silver Age team up book. You have a the wonderful team of Mister Terrific, Metamorpho, Phantom Girl, and Plastic Man. I mean, that's an all star lineup for me as a you know a Silver Age DC fan. So, and Lemire um, has a good way of. Having the group interact with each other, I think he handles all the different voices of the characters well. You know, Plastic Man is very silly and over the top. Metamorpho is the tough guy uh, with a heart of gold, you know. But it's funny. I was reading this book and I was really enjoying it. And there was a, I think it was like issue four or five in this volume where the way it's drawn, it's an issue that Evan Shaner did where the first couple pages are just four panels on each page and each panel focuses on a different character you know, and it's page after page of that. So you're kind of getting this character, this character in separate in separate uh, places. And it, it, when it did that, it struck me. It's like, oh, this is just the Fantastic Four, right? So you have uh, a smart guy, a stretchy guy, a tough guy, and a woman that can turn invisible. So it's like, yeah, it's basically <laughs> the Fantastic Four, right? It's just that the, t- the smart guy isn't stretchy and you don't have a guy that, you know, can turn into flame. But it's, it's kind of funny. It's like, oh, terrific, fantastic. It's a nice riff on that that dynamic right of the Fantas- fantastic four dynamic which is kind of like baked into a lot of uh, superhero teams so i enjoyed the silver age influence of this it's hard not to read it as maybe like a dry run for jeff lemire's um black hammer you know him trying to do a team superhero team book and trying out ideas but it's a fun distracting sort of like you know uh, Silver Age influence superhero book so I, I really really enjoyed it can't wait to try volume two here soon on the other side uh, of the uh, fence, I guess, I read, I succumbed to the hype, and I bought House of X and Powers of X, the uh, the number one issues of the new X-Men series, written by Jonathan Hickman. Um, art on House of X was by Pepe Larraz, and the art by, on Powers of X was by R.B. Silva. And um, it's interesting, I, I have always curious about the X-Men, and I, I, I guess I felt a duty, since Mike wasn't going to be on this episode, I had to be the one to talk about the X-Men since I was hosting. Um, and it, it was interesting. I'm glad that I had recently read Ed Piskor's uh, Grand Design book, where he kind of breaks down the history of the X-Men, you know, it's the Cliff Notes version of X-Men history. I've also recently been going back and reading the classic Chris Claremont and Dave Cockrum uh, X-Men stuff from the late 70s. So I have a little bit of a background here. So jumping into this, I wasn't completely lost. I really enjoyed uh, House of X number one because I felt, even as a sort of a novice X fan, I did feel that Jonathan Hickman was changing the dynamic between humans and mutants. Like, there was a sense of, like, this is a brand new status quo. This is something different. You know, it's not the same old, uh, feared and hated by a world they're sworn to protect. There's something he introduces that changes the power dynamic between the mutant population and humans in a really interesting way, which I think. It makes it worth checking out if you're curious about that stuff. And then on the flip side, I thought The Powers of X, number one, was the sort of big picture, intricately designed story that Hickman is known for and has never really quite worked for me. Uh, That issue kind of spans like thousands of years, and it's filling in the background of how the struggle between humans and mutants uh, ended up destroying the planet but you're filling it he's filling it in piece by piece, right? So you're getting all these little snippets of information to fill in those gaps. and then in order to do that, Hickman is also putting in like text pages where it's just him doing like a Wikipedia entry of like the history of what happened in the conflict. and those pages really took me out of the book. I really liked the artwork overall in the book, but as soon as it got to a text page, it felt like I was reading a textbook, like a history book. and it's kind of interrupted the flow of the book for me. so, I'm on the fence still. I don't know if I'm fully committed or fully um, transitioned to being X-Men fan, but I think I'm on board for at least the next two issues of these series to see what Hickman has in store. So that has been your X-Men Minute on the I Read Comic Books podcast this week. (laughs) There
2: always has to be one.
0: (laughs) Of course, yeah. Um, So cool. So that's the stuff we have been reading. Um, And of course, there's always comic books coming out next week, and comic books come out on, obviously, Wednesday. August 7th this week, and uh, we have books we're excited for. Uh, Kara, what are you excited for this week?
2: Okay. So, I don't know if you remember in like the late 2000s, around like 2007, 2008, Dynamite had this whole thing called Project Superpowers, where they were like dusting off Golden Age superheroes that had fallen into public domain and like Mm -hmm. made them this interconnected team. And I think Alex Ross was doing art for it, so it was, like, a big deal. And I bought yeah. all of it. <laughs> so, <laughs> and uh, one of the characters that got their own series as a result of this Project Superpowers thing was the Death Defying Devil, which they shortened... Shall I say they shortened, but they shortened it to Devil because his full name is Daredevil, but obviously Marvel has the copyright on that for a totally different character. So mm-hmm. this daredevil or apostrophe devil um i i gotta say i don't remember anything about the backstory i just remember the costume because it's a pretty wild costume this dude has like half navy half red like like just split him down the middle and it's like a full-on bodysuit. so actually when you when you think about this whole costume it's really kind of kinky because like half of <laughs> it is like Half of it's navy, half of it's red, and then he has this belt that has these enormous spikes off of it. Like, he would definitely impale his own arm if he ever put his arms down by his side, but whatever. <laughs> and his weapon is a boomerang. And I'm just like, who designed this?
0: <laughs> oh, um, yeah.
2: I did a, a very brief Wikipedia skim on the character, and I think his first solo title was, like, Daredevil vs. Hitler, and it was just a whole series about this dude wailing on Hitler. So sure, yeah, golden age, golden age superheroes, y'all. Anyway, so death defying devil number one is out this week from Dynamite, and I'm excited about it because they gave it to Gail Simone, and I love her. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'm just kind of like I saw that, and I was just like, this memory sparked of me like about to go off to college and just reading all of these friggin' Dynamite books, and and they're rebooting this particular series but with Gail Simone and I will try anything she writes at least once. Sure. So I'm just kind of like, okay. Okay. All right. So that's my pick of the week.
0: <laughs> I had totally forgotten about Project Superheroes. I'm a Superpowers. I remember seeing the books in the store cuz that's right when I started buying comics again was that when that was coming out. I never read them, but I definitely remember this character design cuz that costume is bonkers. It is so, so bonkers. <laughs> I mean the <laughs> whole great. the
2: whole line was like it was fine. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like Dynamite does books on a level where it's like if you want to be reading that stuff, you're like super into it. But if it's not your back, you're just kind of like, eh. but they do. They do have an emphasis on all these kind of like forgotten, pulpy, early golden age heroes. And it's kind of interesting to kind of get into that sometimes. And some of their work is actually pretty interesting. So I am interested to see what happens with this one.
0: Yeah, especially to have someone like Gail Simone attached. That, that definitely feels like it could be could be a, a sleeper hit of the summer, maybe. We'll see. Well, yeah, because she, I mean,
2: she's just got this very weird, twisted sense of humor. And she's at a point <laughs> mm-hmm. in her career where they, I think, publishers just let her do what she wants. So I found yeah. that over the last two decades, her books have gotten progressively weirder as she's gotten a little more... Uh, I guess leverage creatively. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'm just assuming this book is going to be weird as hell.
0: (laughs) Well, that sounds very appealing. I I might have to check that out myself. So cool. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Uh, Kate, what are you excited for? There are
1: eight image firsts re releasing (laughs) for a dollar this week. So (laughs) um, for the people that might want to check them out, I wanted to list all of them. There's Corpa, Criminal, Gideon Falls. Ice Cream Man, Isola, Oblivion Song, Trees, and Unnatural. Oh my and God! If you trees. haven't read Trees or <laughs> Isola, they are some of my favorite books. Period. So I recommend checking them out for a dollar this week. Mm-hmm. Um, the ones I'm excited about that I haven't read yet are an. Unnatural by Mirka and Dolfo. The main character is a pig girl um, in what sounds like a dystopian society, and it also seems to have been translated from Italian. And I love translated books. I love dystopian settings, and I love the movie Penelope, which stars a pig girl played by Christina Ricci. So everything (laughs) about this book is calling to me. And then Oblivion Song by Robert Kirkman and Lorenzo de Felici um i've heard about this book from somewhere i want to say somebody on the goodreads group was talking about it and it sounded great so it's been on my to read list and it seems like the perfect time to check it out um it's about philadelphia has been lost to oblivion whatever that is and it's now a hellscape and then the main character keeps visiting the area looking for something um there's not a whole lot in the description, but I've heard great things. So for a dollar, um I'm going to read it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and they're, they're re-releasing the first issue of Copra, you said? Well? Yeah, yeah. Uh, nice. Dollar, Get on that cuz that, that's one, yeah. Co- wait, Copra is my jam.
2: Copra? Do you say Copra? Copra. Is it copra?
0: I always said Copra. See, this is why you need a pronunciation guide yeah, for the yeah. the book itself. Oh my god,
2: so. that book is wild.
0: Yeah. That book was yeah, so, so that's
2: not a book that I would have read. but um uh my my former co-host on the Just podcast matt kolowski was like you have to read this and i did and it's again not something i would have picked up on my own but it was it's i don't even want to say anything about it it's just terrific really tight storytelling clear weird visuals if you like comics
0: you should try copra
1: okay yes yes well it's only a basically so
0: (laughs) gamble dollar on copra it's uh it's michelle fief sorry to hijack your pick kate no it's great (laughs) i was gonna say uh it's basically michelle fief doing an homage to the uh, suicide squad series from the 80s so it's like a team book but yeah the visual is what it's all about his art style is so different and so unique it's just a stunning comic book so yeah if you can grab that first issue for a dollar i highly recommend that
2: i haven't thought about trees in the longest time but that book was incredible
0: That's the uh, Ellis book, right? than Ellis?
2: Yeah, it was like super weird. It's basically like these enormous tree-like things fall to Earth. They're extraterrestrial. They just like plant themselves in the ground and they go up like as high as a skyscraper. And they're there for like decades, I think, or at least years. And people have no idea what they're there for so you kind of see like how people are reacting to these weird things cropping up and all of a sudden stuff starts changing around the trees so it's kind of just like alien stuff but in a way we haven't seen it before so Mm -hmm. if you like stories that explore what would happen if something fell to earth and humans are reacting to it definitely trees
0: well, I had no idea that they were doing all these images first, so I guess I'm going to have to grab a couple of these if they're only a buck. So yeah. thanks for the heads up, Kate.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Um, I am excited this week for uh, Doom Patrol, Weight of the Worlds, number two. It's good to have the Doom Patrol back. This is a series written by Gerard Way, co-written by Jeremy Lambert, and art on this, this issue is by James Harvey. Uh, Patreon sub- subscribers know that Mike and I recently finished our big reread of the Grant Morrison and Richard Case uh, Doom Patrol series. It's interesting to read that stuff or reread it uh, between volumes of this current Doom Patrol run because I think initially when the Doom Patrol was relaunched by Gerard Way as part of the Young Animal Group uh, imprint at DC. It, uh, I was like, oh, of course he's going to be mimicking the the Graham Morrison stuff. But it was interesting to see just how different his take is of the characters. So this this uh, current volume, which is interesting, they, they want a new volume, you know, Doom Patrol, Weight of the Worlds, even though the first issue of it basically said this is part 13 of the continuing story, story. So it's not really a good jumping on point. You kind of have to have already read the first volume of this current Doom Patrol to get into it. But... I like the way that Wei has introduced new characters and he's been able to sort of strike a nice balance between honoring the past Doom Patrol history and add his own color, own flavor to it. Specifically the way he handles the character Cliff Steele, who again, if you've listened to Mike and I talk about Doom Patrol, Cliff Steele, Robot Man, is the greatest comic book character, maybe ever. I love that character so much. And on this current volume of Doom Patrol, he was recently turned into a human again. And that first issue of Way to the World's they really kind of explored maybe that wasn't the best idea, right? Maybe Cliff Steele's identity as robot man was so important that him being a human again was actually detrimental to his mental health. And I think that's going to continue as the rest of the series goes on. And I think that's something that I've always liked about the Doom Patrol. And that's something that Gerard Way is really doing on this current volume is really exploring the character's mental and physical well-being as being a part of a group and think of the Doom Patrol as a sort of support group instead of just a normal superhero team. That said, the second uh, issue that's coming out on Wednesday, the description I have here says that the Doom Patrol becomes embroiled in the divorce divorce proceedings of feuding cosmic entities. So, of course, with the Doom Patrol, you got to have some weirdness and wildness in there on top of all the heavy emotional baggage. So uh, that's what Gerard Way is bringing to this book, and that's why I love it. So I'm excited for that. So that was uh, our picks for this upcoming week. Um, Our topic for this episode is going to be uh, finding books at the library or how we uh, find hidden gems or maybe share some hidden gems we found. So we'll take a quick break and be right back with that discussion. Before we dive into this week's topic, we have a quick announcement to make. Uh, If you haven't checked us out on Instagram, do that. We have an Instagram account where we post pictures and stuff over there, obviously. And uh, to entice your engagement on that social media platform, we are doing a Mr. Miracle Poster giveaway. A friend of the show, Matt Burbridge, did a great Mr. Miracle Poster. Uh, He posted up on the Instagram there. And if you like the post, you get entered into the giveaway to win the poster. Um, if you want to find out more, obviously check out our Instagram. And um, I think we have a link to it here, ircbpodcast.com slash giveaway08. You can see the image there like that and uh, hopefully win a poster. It's pretty cool. I wish I could win it myself, but obviously as a as a co-host, You're not I cannot. I'm not eligible, but <laughs> it's really cool. So yeah, definitely check that out and uh, check us out on Instagram to, to find out more. Okay. Uh, so like I said, our topic today is all about hidden gems, specifically from your local library, right? We on the show have always talked about uh, the wonderful treasure trove of comics you can find either at your local library physically or digitally through Hoopla, it's one way that I think all of us really engage with comics and have found new stuff. So I thought we would spend today maybe talking about that experience of what attracts your eye, how you find hidden gems, how you find new stuff at the library, and maybe throw out some recommendations for people, uh, for books we've enjoyed and we've found that way. So I'll open the floor uh, if anybody has some thoughts on this this experience of finding hidden gems at the library.
2: Ooh, uh So when I was getting into comic books and graphic novels, um, prior to being a regular denizen of my local comic shop, the (laughs) library was where I found everything. Because basically, somewhere around like middle school, early high school, the library, like I, I had like grown up going to the library essentially every week. The librarians knew who I and my family were, and when they realized that I was into graphic novels and comics the librarians were very kind and showed me where that section was and whenever they had a Mm -hmm. new thing i would be the first to know and i read basically everything and so (laughs) like that so when you're talking about like finding things at the library that was kind of my first point of entry of being like oh there's more to comics than just like archie comics and the dennis the Mm -hmm. menace uh, issues from the 60s that are still at my grandma's house and sure and uh there were a couple really vivid ones i remember from that time like mm-hmm. that's how i discovered the book boneyard i must have mm. read the first volume of boneyard like a hundred times it basically <laughs> the premise is uh our our protagonist uh, finds out that a relative has died and has left him some land in this town, ta- in like a little town in the middle of nowhere. So he goes to the town, finds out that the land is a graveyard, and then finds out that the graveyard is haunted by a variety of of monsters who are very familiar to all of us or like riffs on them. So he's kind of realizing that the town knows that the monsters are there and there's like tension between the town and the monsters. And there's something weird going on with all of it. But basically the town wants to kind of raise the land that the graveyard occupies to make way for like a new Mm -hmm. development. And so our hero is kind of stuck in the middle of this and complicating things at least for him is the fact that he's kind of got a love interest in the like really cute vampire girl who lives in the graveyard and is trying to like convince him that he needs to keep the graveyard where it is and again I read this like a hundred times and when I got older and realized there were more books in the series I bought like all of them <laughs> And like they're they're not like in my mind as vividly as that first volume but like Mm-hmm. that was definitely a librarian poll. there was another book that I read that I've, I don't remember the plot <laughs> I don't remember the name but it scarred me so hard like I just I don't like I just have this visual of this comic book where there was like this tentac this like blue tentacle alien thing that was like huge and it lured people in to I guess being absorbed by it because, like, on the end of one of its tentacles, it had this creepy little puppet that looked like a white sock puppet with, like, little red fuzzy hat and arms. And, oh, oh my God. And I just, <laughs> if you know what this book is, don't tell me. I don't want to go back. It really terrified me. But, like that was a library find. And I just basically, like, (laughs) once I realized that I could use the library reservation for system for stuff, oh my god, I read every single Catwoman trade that was available at that time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely an important part of the the library comic experiences. Once I discovered that my local library, which already had a fantastic uh, comic book section, was a part of the, you know, larger Michigan library community where you can actually get books from other libraries delivered to your local one that open the floodgates, right? Because suddenly it's like everything's available. You know, it's an amazing resource that you have there at the library. But for me, I, I always really and still really enjoy the experience of going into their library and actually physically looking at the the stacks, right? To actually walk through and find what art catches your eye, right? Because that's what I think comics are obviously such a visual medium that that's the best way for me to do that. Obviously, you can do that at the comic book store, but, you know, if you try to read the whole book there, they're going to make you pay for it, right, obviously. But (laughs) being able to have a free resource and one that's tailored, I think, you know, libraries, obviously the people there, if there's someone who's working at the library who is a comic book fan, they're going to try to create in, uh, you know, a a unique sort of collection, you know, sort of um, find different stuff. So I think it's a really nice resource. And I find that experience so satisfying of walking down the aisles and finding a book. It's like, boy, I've never seen the artwork before. Or or here's a book by someone I already know, but I didn't know they did. this is an earlier work by them. Like That is such a rewarding experience that I don't think you, you can really get digitally. right? It's a difference between going to the blockbuster versus scrolling through Netflix. They're radically different experiences for me. And I think one has engendered better uh, discoveries for me. And that's actually looking at the stuff physically.
2: No, I think I, I definitely agree with you because while thinking about this topic, I realized that going to spaces like that physically was very much part of high school and even college for me. But like once I once I became an adult, um, <laughs> I moved a lot of my library um, interaction online. Like, like oh, okay. I so I. Yeah. I basically use the library to like look up things that I see recommended other places, but it's very mm-hmm. rare that I actually go in and browse. It's like for right. for me, um my closest library is actually like a long block away from my current workplace. So I'll like okay. walk over on my lunch break and pick up books that are reserved for me, but only very occasionally do I wander. But a couple months ago I wandered upstairs to the graphic novel section and mm-hmm. there's a lot like I forgot that the library that's closest to me is actually kind of the flagship library for the whole county that I'm in and mm-hmm. they have a lot of comics like I was pulling stuff like crazy and it got to a point where I was like Cara there's no way you're going to read 20 comics today this week like you have to come <laughs> down and put some back but you're right, right it is right. <laughs> it is a different experience physically going and browsing
0: mm-hmm. as opposed to just yeah, being
2: like oh the algorithm on the internet tells me I'll like this book
0: Exactly, exactly. And it, it, I had a similar, you know, sort of experience where I was, um, I was sort of out of the comics game, so to speak, for a while, having you know, been a comic book reader and, you know, going to the store a lot when I was uh, in high school and stuff. But after high school, I kind of scaled back on that. So the library was my main source of comics. And I did have that problem of living within walking distance of my library here in Grand Rapids. And uh, walking out of the library with like stacks of like, you know, five or six comics. I'm like, yeah, there's no way I'm going to be able to read all this stuff. Like these big collections and stuff. It's like, the, you kind of are overwhelmed to the point of like, well, I have to read all of it, right? And so you end up checking out way too many books. And hopefully you can get to them before they have to get returned. But I think that, you know, that sort of being there physically is a good way to. Like I said, find new art. Like, I think I wouldn't have found Charles Forsman if not for the library, you know, the, the creator who did The End of the Fucking World and Celebrated Summer. Those books jumped off of the—not fiz- not literally, <laughs> figuratively—jumped off the shelf at me because they stylistically were so unique and so different. Same thing with Lisa Hanawalt. I remember seeing her book My Dumb Dirty Eyes—or My Dirty Dumb Eyes— at the library and loving it instantly and becoming a huge fan of her work immediately. And it was that I would not have seen it had it not been there on the shelf. I was curious enough to pick it up and flip through it, you know?
2: Well, Kate, you have a whole, whole lot of books that <laughs> you have found in your library quest. So how, how do you start your process of finding a new book to read at the library?
1: It's mostly an accident. Um, (laughs) I'll have one or two books that I put in a request for because I need to read them for the book of the month on Goodreads or because I've decided that I've waited too long to read a particular book and it's time. (laughs) But I'll go in and I'll pick up my hold and then I'll be like, well, I don't have to be home for an hour. I might as well just stay here and browse. So (laughs) I end up, um, you know, going home with another eight or 12 or 15 comic books there's not um there's not a very (laughs) low limit of what you can check out at in a month at my library Mm -hmm. as long as it's physical um hoopla has a very small limit now but right um so man i know that you're not supposed to judge books by their cover but i (laughs) mostly do um Mm -hmm. or if there's a really intriguing title um, like the comic book history of beer is one of the ones that jumped out at me. Oh well, yeah, and sure. it's a huge. This particular book is a huge book. It's by um, Jonathan Hennessy, Mike Smith, Aaron McConnell, and Tom Orzechowski. I think is how you'd pronounce it. Um, and it, the full title is "The Comic Book Story of Beer: The World's Favorite Beverage from 7,000 BC to, day, to Today's Craft Brewing Revolution," <laughs> and the book is about as long as the title, and it's exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> um, the, the best part of this book, other than how informative it is, is that the yeast particles, when it's talking about the science of, of how beer um, molecularly is created the yeast particles are represented by tiny bulldozers (laughs) 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 and every segment of history um, about beer starts with like a little bit of, of art, a couple panels of art that represent like the art at the time, like the art movements going Mm. on, which is just an extra little, a little thing that I really appreciated the artist going into the work to do context. Yeah. And, then when it gets into the science, there's a lot of really helpful diagrams um, that I really enjoyed. I really need to just buy this book because I'm like, I can't remember now, like, at which stage does, like, this, did they separate the mash or whatever it's called? Like, I can't even remember, remember, but I'm super interested in the process, and I've got a lot of friends that try to brew beer, so... <laughs> um, <laughs> try. Yeah, yeah. Or try to get around to, to, to brewing beer, rather, time, time-wise, but... Mm-hmm. And so with the craft beer revolution and working in one of the cities that's been named um, Beer USA or Beer City or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. And so, yeah, it's long, but anybody who drinks beer or reads comics or both um, should definitely put in the time to read this one. Um, sure. And that, like I said, that jumped out mostly because of the cover and the title, but it was a really simple cover. Um, just the text was big and there was like a glass of beer on it. Um, but it was just sitting at my, it was just sitting in the, on the shelf at the library. Um, and then that one, I've, I've checked out different branches of the library and they're all different experiences entirely. <clears throat> I mean, I know that they're all libraries, they're all within the same system. But my, my local library now where, where Brian and I bought our condo at is really small. It does seem like a satellite version of the library which is why i'm requesting so many books now as opposed to just walking in and hope that they have it before i request it um but there's a lot of um community events that happen and all of them but but this one in particular i feel like it's more focused on kind of bringing people together in the community um even though it doesn't have that many different um, offerings in terms of catalog or shelf size Versus right. the library I used to go to had a huge selection of all different genres. It was a much larger location, and it was focused on like the disabled and like um, some braille, um, braille books and things like that. It was really interesting. Um, so that's where I found the comic book history of beer was um, at this larger branch. But then I walked into um, another branch over near where I worked, and that was just a totally different experience. It felt like walking into like an industrial place like it had like exposed beams and uh like artistically like as a as a choice yeah. and like two floors it was wild um, <laughs> <laughs> um and i picked up the photo uh photographic the life of Graciela Eiderbide by isabel quintero and zike pina i think and i never would have picked this up if the cover wasn't beautiful if i wasn't just you know at the library wasting some time that day um i never would have heard this of this photographer but this book is beautiful it combines black and white original art with grayscale photography by this woman um Eiderbide. and my very favorite photograph is one where she's taken a picture of this woman who has five or six iguanas on her head Hmm. (laughs) Um, and the photography and the art are matched with biographic narration and like a poetic analysis of every place that she goes which is a lot of places and it's a little bit tragic I mean the reason that she kind of set off into the world is because I think that she lost her kid I can't quite remember but it all makes the world feel like a more magical place even if you've been through some really hard hard experiences Hmm. and that one just popped off the shelf. It was a mostly white cover um, with a really basic um, art uh, piece of art of of Graciela Urrutia on the front, and then a
0: large title. Well, I think that that's interesting because I feel like that those types of books that maybe aren't your sort of typical, you know, what we think of comic book yeah. subject matter, right? That I think that's the kind of stuff I always like finding at the library—stuff that's a little bit off the beaten path, right. so to speak. You know, stuff that you wouldn't find at the local shop. More or less,
1: yeah, and nonfiction. I mean, I don't really read nonfiction in prose form, it doesn't capture my attention well enough. And then I've Mm -hmm. tried listening to nonfiction in audiobook form because I listen to a lot of audiobooks anymore while I'm doing other things. And I just, I mean, if you miss something, you know, it's information, you've missed that information, yeah, yeah, and so but but with the comic book I mean you're still looking at it so you can still go back and like reference something that you'd read a few pages earlier and then you have the artistic representation of, of whatever it is that it's talking about so mm-hmm. there's just it it just grasps me more so that I'm more likely to remember the information later on yeah I, so thinking about you know with the physical experience
2: of going to the library you can see stuff that you wouldn't otherwise see but Hoopla is, uh, I think, a contrast to that. for the For those listeners who don't know, Hoopla is an app where, like, you can log in with your library card if your library system has an account with Hoopla, and you can access digital media through this app. And in terms of reading comics, if you have uh, like a bigger screen, it's actually a pretty seamless reading experience i found Mm -hmm. and uh but kate's right they they do have limits on how many titles you can borrow like for my library system i think i have a limit of five borrows a month Um, Mm -hmm. which some months is too short and some is too long like it's fine if you're checking out (laughs) five graphic novels to read but if you're trying to read singles you can read all five of those in like what an hour and a half, and then you have to yeah. wait a whole month. But uh, I noticed the other day while looking on, on Hoopla because I, I normally go in with an idea of what I want to read already. But actually, that's how I found uh, Blackbird to read this week because I just went to the comics tab to just see what they had, and they mm-hmm. had like new newly added to Hoopla. So I tapped on that, and the like basically. All of it, except for Blackbird, on the first few sections was the boys. And I was like, wait, Barth <laughs> Ennis wrote that a million years ago. What are you talking Oh, right. The Amazon series is out now. And so, right. and then I re- remembered that actually, the last few times I've logged into Hoopla, the first comics that pop up are usually ones that. Are tied into some kind of new superhero movie release or comic book based property. So I think Hoopla is a really good resource to go to if you want to read something that's tied into some kind of film based on mm-hmm. a comic that's been out recently.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting. So my my use of Hoopla has kind of has been that sort of experience where I almost look at it as a sort of. Um, a resource, you know, where it is something where when Mike and I were doing the Doom Patrol, uh, you know, episodes for Patreon, I have all those issues physically in a long box, but it was much easier for me to just use Hoopla as a way to access it quickly, you know, and read it quickly that way. So it's almost like a res- uh, re, um, what's what I'm looking for, a um, a resource or a uh, reference tool for me when it comes to comics, and it's a really great way to find old stuff. I'm burning through a lot of the old X Men stuff, or that way, you know, because they have all the collections, that stuff there. But yeah, browsing for, to find new stuff, I think is it's such a different experience. I, I've been trying to get better at that on there. If I think if you do uh, do the new stuff or, you know, uh, what's trending, it is that sort of algorithm that's saying, well, oh, here's what's popular right now. Here it is. I have found that if you actually go to the specific publisher page, if I go to the DC one, I can scroll through everything that DC's put up there. And it's usually chronological when it's been added. So that's kind of a good way to find stuff, too.
1: Yeah, it's also separated by genre, which is pretty easy for me to just mm. jump to, you know, I know that I like a particular genre or mm. young adult or magical um, realism fantasy, rather. Um, so I can jump there pretty easily. I did when I first really got hard into comics a couple of years ago, we had a limit of nine instead of four, which which it is mm. now, I think. Um and, yeah, so I think I, I found some more kind of mid-level popularity books, some things that were a little bit older, like um, Copperhead by Jay Farber and Spire by Cy Spurrier. I read those on yes. there. Um, and, again, I think was, I was attracted to the kind of simple cover design a little bit. It was really easy to see in a, a thumbnail <laughs> on Hoopla. And I think I might have actually read Copperhead because it was recommended to me for reading Spire. So it does, it does have a good recommendation system based on things that you've already read or favorited.
0: Mm-hmm. The algorithm knows you better than you know yourself sometimes, yeah. I think is kind of what that what it comes down to. <laughs> or it knows
1: its own selection better, at least.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting, because I, I, I was just thinking of other stuff I've read uh, recently, and... Um, there was a book that popped up that I I had heard of, so maybe it wasn't like a hidden gem so much, but when I did find Outer Darkness by uh, John Layman, recently on Hoopla, with art by Afu Chan, that book I had known the title of, but seeing it there, being able to click on it and read it immediately, that was really like a rewarding experience because I re- ended up really liking the book a lot. But maybe that's something where you know, the, the sort of new books on Hoopla algorithm that popped up for me. It was a thing where I've heard of the title, I want to check it out, and the sort of seamless ability to start reading it instantly, That that's really changed my comic book reading experience in the past few months, is being able to do that through Hoopla.
1: Yeah,
0: I agree. I, I swear we're not paid by Hoopla. <laughs> like, you know, or the library. I feel like, but, exactly. But I, I do think that, you know, the library for you know, some people maybe isn't something I really think about when it comes to reading comics. You know, I know, I, I care. you talked about your experience discovering comics that way. You know, I grew up similarly going to the library every weekend with my parents. It's always been something I've I've done, but I, maybe there's people that, that don't have that background and we're kind of saying, like, the library is a great resource for you to use that way, for that.
2: Well, I... Let me think. When I, when I was in... um college and just out of college I feel like I talked to so many people who were like I just buy everything on Amazon and I just use Kindle and I'm like yeah okay but that's money and the library is not that (laughs) and your taxes are already paying for the library so maybe use the library (laughs) like I think I had I, I think um I maybe four months ago now I actually had to walk one of my current coworkers to she loves reading she reads like i watch television and she doesn't <laughs> did not have a library card and i was like the library is literally a block away from us what do you mean you're not using the library she's like i don't know i've just never gone over there i was like i am we're going there at lunch <laughs> i i marched her over there on our lunch break and like helped guide her through the process of applying for a library card which is basically like can you prove that you live in this county And then she walked out with a library card and she was happy as a clam. And I'm just like, see, this is the low barrier to entry and then you're in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a tremendous resource and it's one that's already there. And it's one that I think needs to be used in order to stay around. You know, I think, you know, libraries are cash strapped. You know, they're not always the highest priority for communities, but so being involved and going to them is definitely an important part of making sure they're going to stay around for a while, you know? And I think, luckily, things like Hoopla or Canopy, which is a similar app that's just movies you can use your library card to access, are great ways to kind of even make access to the library even easier, right? The hurdle's even lower to get over to find stuff there. So
2: I find that when I go to the library at different times of the day, it's interesting to see how kind of the demographics of the people using the library changes, Like, like if I go there, I I like going on my lunch break because it's, it's not empty, but it's not busy. And like during the Mm -hmm. day, it's a lot of like senior citizens who have probably retired at, at my library branch. There are a bunch of homeless people who use the library as like a safe space to not be outside. And, uh, then like if I go I try not to go after school because that's when all the families bring their kids and then it's just like sure. it, I just no I just that was at work I don't <laughs> need that after work too but you know right, right. <laughs> but uh but when I do feel like I have a little more time and it's a little more chill and there's not a whole lot of people there that's when I'm like okay I'm gonna go browse okay let me go check out the comic book section which Kate, I don't know if this is the same at your library, but at my library, the comic book section is like sharing an aisle with the knitting section. (laughs) It is.
0: (laughs) I was going to say, yeah, so my experience with my local library is kind of unique because they do have a section that is just all graphic novels. It's over where they put the movies, the DVDs and stuff, and the, and the, the compact discs for people that still use those, and they have a whole section that's just comics. But they also have... Like another, I don't remember what the Dewey decimal number is, but there's another part of the library that has like the collections of like EC reprints or, you know, like more art books, but there's a lot of comic book stuff in there. That's, they actually put a lot of Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko books in that section. So there's still a, a weird, you know, disconnect between what is in the graphic novel section versus what was traditionally part of the library collection, I think. Uh, so. In that regard, I tried to make a habit of checking out both sections. Like maybe I could find some cool reprints of old EC Silver Age comics or some golden age stuff that's not going to be thrown in with the sort of more recent graphic novel collection stuff. You know. And uh, there's that's where I found, you know, like the the biography about Jack Kirby, King of Comics. That was in that section. That was a good eye opener for me to kind of learn more about that. I wouldn't have found that stuff normally. Uh, the collections of stuff that Steve Ditko did. Um, before Marvel, like the really early Steve Ditko stuff, stuff that isn't as easily uh, accessible, that's a good place to find that stuff. And I wish I could remember what the Dewey decimal number was because it's going to bother me. But yeah, so there's there's a, not only is the library a great resource, but there's also different sections to check out. So, you know, yeah.
1: I just found a browser extension called mm. library it's just called library extension and if are if i'm on goodreads it will pop up an extra little um drop down menu on goodreads that tells me whether or not it's available on hoopla or physically yeah. at the library what? And it'll show up i mean i mostly use it on goodreads but it'll also show up on like barnesandnoble.com and amazon and a bunch of other places we are living in the future Yep, it's <laughs> the best
0: thing <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. So um, I think, do we have any other maybe sort of recommendations we want to shout out while we're here talking about it?
2: I mean, my recommendation
1: is please go to the library.
0: Yeah, (laughs) of course. Don't take our word for it. Check it out.
1: There's so many like smaller independent books or older books that are so great, and they get overlooked um, because of how much stuff is on the market, which is great, but if you're not... (laughs) Browsing, I mean, either at your store or at your library or online. I mean, if you're not just like looking through things, um, you're never going to find them. So yeah, go to your your local library branch and see what they've got yeah. that maybe you've never heard of.
2: And we cannot emphasize this enough, but it is free. Yeah. <laughs> so, so if you're that comics person who's like, man, I want to read more comics, but my budget doesn't allow for that, friend, get thee to the library.
0: Right. Especially, you know, we were talking about hidden gems, but, you know, as as a resource to do research, the library's importance can't be overstated. If there's a classic stuff that you haven't read and you want to check out, I bet your library probably has a pretty solid selection of, like, Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, or I know my local library, both physically and on Hoopla, has all the Love and Rockets stuff. So stuff that maybe you've backlogged on your to-read eventually pile, check out the library and they'll have it for you.
1: Yeah, and don't don't forget to... uh check out if you have an interlibrary loan system like in michigan it's called melcat and i can order things that are on the shelf in across the state um Mm -hmm. or at a at a university that participates in this program and don't be afraid to use that i mean the only thing that you've got to be careful of is getting it back in time because i have no idea how their late fees would work when you (laughs) when you owe money to detroit you know but sure yeah um it's great. I mean, I've I've read so many obscure comics just by by ordering them and then picking them up at my local branch. Mm-hmm. My library actually just like as of last month eliminated late fees. Yes.
0: Wow. Yep. That's wow. great.
1: So did ours. Mm-hmm. So
0: the, what you're saying is there's literally no excuse to. Yeah. Not literally go to the no library. excuse to not go to the library. Please go. <laughs> We're
1: looking at you, Nick.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, Okay, this is great. You know, I, I think as I mentioned it. it Obviously, your local comic book store is an important part of your uh, comic book reading experience, I think, but you shouldn't overlook the sort of uh, the treasure trove of information there at the local library. So, like I said, don't take our word for it. Check it out at the local library um, if anyone gets that reference. Um, So, so I guess we're going to wrap up this conversation. Um, If you have any other recommendations for books you found at the library or want to, uh, you know, correct us on anything, you can follow us on Twitter. We're all over there. Kara is at Kara S. Zam. Kate is at Kate L. Fear, P-H-E-R-E. I am at Oh Hi Polly. And the show, of course, is at IRCB Podcast. As I mentioned, we are also on Instagram at IRCB Podcast. So find us over there as well.
2: You can subscribe to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash IRCB Podcast. Without your support, this show wouldn't survive. That sounds really dark, but it is also true. (laughs) Server fees are a thing. Join now Mm -hmm. for access to exclusive audio and articles, early access to Top of My Pile posts, and more. Our Goodreads group, which we mentioned on this show a few times, is a lovely community of comic friends, and we have weekly threads
1: check it out at ircbpodcast.com slash goodreads. You can see our website at ircbpodcast.com where we have a pronunciation guide. Pronunciation guide? (laughs) Like for the word pronunciation. (laughs) 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 And merchandise. Um, Please remember to rate and review our show and whatever podcatcher you use. That really does help us out. You can email the show with what you've been reading, recipes, corrections, or anything that you have to say at ircbpodcast at gmail.com.
0: Uh, I want to say Infinity Shred is the best band in the world. They also happen to do the music for our show. Xander, he evokes that feeling you get when you gaze up into the sky in the desert and see the Milky Way above you. (laughs) He's also a wizard who edits the show. I want to thank Mike for letting me me host the show this week. I want to thank Kate and Kara for having a great conversation about libraries. And I want to thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. We all do. Until next time, comics are good and so are you.